Welcome to the Guy Who Knows a Guy podcast. I'm your host, Michael Whitehouse, and I'm so grateful that you have decided to spend a little bit of time with me and my guests to learn a little something. I have a fantastic network of amazing people who make my life richer in so many ways. They make my personal life better, my business life better, my whole life better, and I want to share their stories and their teachings with you so that you can make your life better as well. We are all meant to do great things in our particular domains, and I hope that some of what you learned today may help you to live in your greatness. Welcome to the Guy Who Knows a Guy podcast. I am your host, Michael Whitehouse. Today we have a fantastic show with Willie Mandrell. Willie is a fascinating person, an amazing uh, check out his YouTube channel. Absolutely, you get so much to learn there about real estate investing and life and business and everything. And I am really excited to be able to announce that he and his Wealth Builder Nation will be partnering with us for the next Conference 21 coming up in May, May 21st and 23rd. Information at conference21.com. We're still updating the website, getting all the details up there. But I can tell you that Willie is going to be joining us with uh, some of his great experts from Wealth Builder Nation to be part of Conference 21 to kind of have a conference within a conference, some of their great content. So if you like what you hear in this podcast, definitely sign up uh, for Conference 21 because you're going to meet some great people there and possibly meet Willie himself. And uh, it's just a great way to learn more about building wealth through real estate. But this guy, he knows his stuff. He can explain it well. He's got an incredible story. And you are in for a treat. So let's get right to it. Meet Willie Mandrum. So I'm here today with Willie Mandrell of the Mandrell Company. He is a real estate investor, author, and educator. Um, so Willie, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, doing well, Mike. I appreciate you uh, you having me on. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. Uh, so you have a new book coming out, Cashflow Secrets. Um, so Obviously, we're going to talk a little about that. But before we get to that, tell me a little bit about uh, you know what you do and how you came to be doing it. Sure. Um, I'm, a, a, I guess, a real estate investor. I've been in the business for about 15 years. Um, bought my first two family. I'm out of the, you know out of the Boston area. Uh, bought my first two family getting started, low down payment, FHA loan, uh, and uh, just fell in love with the business. You know, I had, uh, I think, a mortgage of $2,500 at the time. And you know, someone downstairs was paying me six, seventeen hundred bucks, and they're paying off 70 percent of my my mortgage every month. And I was like, "Wow, this is the house is appreciating, the debt's being paid down by somebody else." Essentially, I'm, you know, being able to travel a little bit more and do the things that I want to do. And I was like, "This is this is a great business." And then you start to do a little bit more research, and you read Rich Dad Poor Dad and Tim Ferriss and some of the other books that are out there about entrepreneurship and real estate and everything else, and you find out that you know the a good majority of the people who are millionaires and multimillionaires in this country um, get that way through, uh, the vehicle of real estate. So started diving into it a little bit more, educating myself, um, switched my major. I initially went to school for culinary arts, um, fell in love with business so much that I actually changed, uh, you know, my major and ended up going to, uh, to school. And yes, I bought my first home while I was still in college. Um, you know, ended up changing my major and, and going, um, for business, uh, I fell in love with the finance industry. Spent some time in the securities uh, securities industry, uh, trading stocks, bonds, um, in, in the compliance world. Um, and then about 2010, um, I, I wanted to really kind of decide what I wanted to do. The housing market was down. We had just come, you know, kind of in the middle of a recession. Um, and real estate just kind of always just kind of um, you know, has been my thing. So um, I, I dived in full full force. Got my real estate license. Um, opened up my own brokerage a few, a few years after that, 
And, um, you know, now I'm sitting around somewhere around 50 units right now in, uh, in the Boston area um, with the, uh, the goal of doubling that over the next 24 months. Wow. Uh, so, so you're in your 30s now? I am. I'm 37. Okay. Yes, you're just slightly younger than me. Wow. What, what, have, I, what have I done with my life? <laughs> and, and so how old were you when you bought the first house? I was 23. 23, okay. 23, yes. Yeah. So, so, so the other question becomes, and I get this all the time, why were you still in college at 23? <laughs> well, that, the, the other side of it, I was, I was working. I, you know, I had, um, didn't have the luxury of going you know, full-time for, for, I went to Northeastern. Northeastern's a five-year program. Um, I didn't have the luxury of going straight five years. I think I did three years and then I had to work full-time, which actually turned out really well for me because the full-time employment allowed me to still, you know, to buy a house at 23 while I was still you know, finishing up my last few years in school. Okay. Well, actually, that brings me something I wanted to ask about because you're a millennial by definition, mm-hmm. if, if my math is right. Yep. And and so it sounds like you didn't start rich. So it's not like your parents gave you a big pile of money, right? No, not not at all. Um, actually, the 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 exact opposite. I grew up in the grew up in the projects, the housing projects here in Boston, and uh, uh, my grandmother was in the business, but you know it skipped a generation. My father, my uncle wanted nothing to do with with real estate, um, and by the time we came along. Uh, she had basically sold off everything and, and decided that she was no longer going to uh, try to give anybody a fish, um, so to speak, but teach us how to fish. So a lot of inspiration and encouragement from my grandmother before she passed. Um, but no, quite the opposite. I mean, this is and that's what we talk about in the book, Cashflow Secrets. It's this is something that anybody can get into no matter where you're starting from. OK, yeah, I was like to kind of emphasize that point because I I get a lot of pushback from people when I when I share, you know, these positive, you know, anyone can do anything, not anything, but. That, that there's a lot of people out there who think that the American dream is dead, and there's the haves and the have-nots, and you're either in the in the ruling class or you're in the the worker class. And and if you're in the worker class, well, you're just out of luck. Nothing you can do about it. If you don't have money, you can't make money. Um, and it it sounds like uh, you you didn't exactly start. I mean, you did have a, a relative who who guided you and encouraged you, which is hugely valuable. But mm-hmm. um, you know, certainly someone can can go out and seek out their own knowledge and their own inspiration. And other than that inspiration, you didn't really have that much to start with. No, and, and that's exactly right. I mean, and, and even and even with my grandmother, it was more or less a a mental push. But there, you know, my grandmother was you know a black woman from the South, moved up from Macon, Georgia, to Boston in the 1950s. Uh, she moved up with a sixth grade education. I, I I assume back then you didn't really have to go to high school, or there was no there was no opportunity for her to go to college. So she had always told me from the very beginning, she was like, "If I can do this, this business is very simple, and people make it more complex than it needs to be." And she would always tell me, you know, that if I can do what I've done um, with the little education that I have, imagine what you should be able to accomplish with a high school education and and a a college education. And, um, so I, you know, there's two, two things that I take away from that is one is this business is really simple. It's, it's, it's income and it's expenses. It's collecting rental income and it's paying it out your mortgage, your taxes, insurance, and people make it a lot more complex and cap rates and, you know, and, and return on investment and all these different metrics that they, that they use, my grandmother had none of that and was able to achieve, um, you know, a lot of success in this business. Wow. Uh, and and what, what year did you buy your first house? What year? It was uh, 2000, yeah. 2000, at the end of 2006. So essentially, um, if I remember correctly, the, the markets, the stock market started to crash at the beginning of 2007 and the housing market pretty much the end of 2007, 2008. So I pretty much bought it the worst time that you can possibly buy. Does sound that way. And, and how did you get through that? storm 
Um, uh, sound economics. One of the benefits that I did have is I, I, I went to business school and I, and this is, I, I write about this in the book as well. I think no matter where you, what you go to school for, whether you go to school for pharmacy, art, finance, whatever, everyone should take an economics class. That should be a, almost like a mandatory elective because it teaches you so much about the way the economy works. While everybody else in 2008 is running scared and selling off and selling at the bottom of the market, you know, I remember, you know, stories about Warren Buffett and how he says when there's blood in the streets, you know, there's opportunity. When everyone else is running left, he's, you know, looking right and um, just kind of going opposite of what the majority of people do. When the majority is running one way, you, there's no way, there's no money to be made. Also, to answer your question more specifically, um, I started looking for opportunities. I was down, I think, roughly, I think I bought my first house at about $400,000 is what I paid. Um, mm -hmm. I think it hit somewhere. I looked on Zillow at, you know, 2008 and it was rough 320 or something or something along those lines. Um, so there was some significant value loss. But what I what I paid attention to was all the other opportunities that were out there. So I made some more purchases, additional purchases in 2010, uh, 2011. I, I encouraged my wife, then my girlfriend to buy her first multifamily in 2012. Um, and just kind of rode the market back up. I, I understood that if everybody else was selling off and trying to get out because they were scared about, you know, scared of the, uh, the, the downward spiral and how further, much further we were going to go, I was looking at, well, I'm 23, 24, 25, 26. I'm going to see several more declines, several more upswings. Um, the markets work in cycles. Um, every 10, 12, 15 years, you're going to see uh, you know, some a recession, a pullback, and then an upswing, and then a recession, and a pullback, and an upswing. And I realized that I was going to live through at least three, four, or more of these, and that I should be buying and, and preparing for the future. That makes sense. And, and also, the, the rental market, of course, travels in its own cycle, separate from the housing market. So, will you still able to get the rental income? You're your you're exactly right. Almost, almost an inverse relationship. Um, and not not directly, but in, in some respects, because. If people aren't buying, then it's not like they can just say, okay, well, I, you, you still need somewhere to live. So if you aren't buying because you're scared of the market and, and what's going on in the market, then you're renting. And if you're renting, there's a supply and demand problem, especially in a, in a very popular city like Boston. We have Harvard and MIT and Yale, uh, excuse me, uh, BU and BC and Northeastern and some of the biggest universities, some of the best hospitals in the world. So people come and they stay. Well, if they're staying and they're coming in droves, then we have a supply and demand problem, which pushes the rental prices up. Um, so I was seeing um, in that house that I bought in 2012 with my wife, we were getting $1,500 for three bedroom apartments. Um, that those same units, uh, uh, what are we, eight years later, almost nine years later, are doubled. Uh, the rental values have doubled there. Um, we are getting almost $3,000 now for three bedroom apartments. And so, yes, there's an inverse relationship there and, you know, a supply and demand, you know, um, you know, uh, a problem that you'll have if no one's buying. Wow. Yeah. Yes. So it, what's, what's exciting to me about the story you're telling is that a lot of people say, you know, oh, well, I came out of college in 2006 or 2008 and I'm millennial and so I'm doomed. I'm, I'm set back and my career will always be set back because of that. And you're almost saying, well, I graduated in 2006. Or what year did you graduate? 2000? 2007. 2007. 2007. You know, I graduated in 2007 and that's where the opportunity was. So I seized it, uh, which is a whole different take on on that that narrative from what I hear from a lot of class of 2007 people. Right. Yeah. No, and and that and that's exactly right. I think um, it really just comes down to you know people looking at 
what everyone else is doing. I mean, and that's when I really get, you know, I, I, again, I don't know where I, um, whether it was Warren Buffett or just kind of watching what other people are doing, but when everyone is heading in one direction, you really have to be cautious. If everybody's optimistic about the market, you should be cautious. If everybody's running away from anything right now, and again, I'm not sure, I don't want to offend anybody, but Bitcoin is one of those things right now. Everyone's running towards Bitcoin over the last couple of years. It's been around for a while and people are just kind of diving into it. That that's that makes me cautious when people are running towards something in, in droves and everybody thinks that they can just they can't you know they can't lose and everybody's making money and this person made a fifty thousand and a hundred thousand and became a millionaire. Um, I tend to stay away from stuff like that. I tend to stay. I, I tend to you know stick with the tried and true. Um, whether Bitcoin is here or not, people always need a place to live. People are always going to need a roof over their head and um, you know and that's why you know like I said I I really like real estate. And so right now, of course, you got the the eviction moratorium and some of those things, is that causing an impact in your business? Absolutely. I mean, I'd be lying if I said it, it, it wasn't. Um, you know, I have a, a, you know, a tenant right now. I mean, not, not a huge impact in, this, in the sense that I regret, you know, doing this at all. I think it's still a, a terrific business and I'm still buying um, like crazy right now because I think the next couple of years is going to be a ton of opportunity. Um, you know, we, you know, we have, not to get too sidetracked, but we have about, you know, 40, 30 to 40 million people out of work, restaurants, uh, you know, closing down like crazy. Hospitality industry is 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 hurt, and with the hospitality industry comes a whole bunch of transportation industry, and a whole bunch of other industries that are also um, being neg- negatively affected. PPP money is propping us up. Unemployment, you know, extensions are propping us up right now. Um, a lot of economic st- super low interest rates are propping us up. A lot of those things, stimulus checks, a lot of those things are going to go away. And I think there's a lot of opportunity over the next couple of years for for um, for you know savvy buyers to uh, to dive into the market and pay attention. Don't do what the crowd is doing. The crowd is going to be running and telling you that. Um, stop listening to the national news. Pay attention to what's going in your specific market, um, in your niche, and, and develop a niche if you don't have one. Um, but what's going on in Mississippi and Alabama and Texas and you know San Diego has nothing to do with me and my rental portfolio here in Boston. And I'm not even sure if that answers your question anymore, but I, <laughs> but I, <laughs> I felt I needed to say that. You're not in a situation where suddenly all your tenants stop paying because they're like, well, you can't evict me, so heck with you. Oh, yeah, exactly. So, so no, I mean, we have a couple. We have, um, quite frank, I have a gentleman who owes me about 20000 um, mm-hmm. And uh, it hurts, believe me. That's that's money that, you know, is coming out of my children's, you know, mouths. It's, it's money I could be using to pay for daycare or anything else. Um, uh, but that that's the extent of it. You know, I mean, there's one tenant out of uh, 49 or 50, you know, rental units that we're managing right now. And, um, that, that's the extent of it. But for the most part, people have been, I have a couple people behind and late on rent, but for the most part, people have been pretty, uh, solid during the pandemic, uh, working. There are a lot of, uh, subsidies out there, a lot of programs, um, that are trying to help, you know, continue to help people stay in their homes. Um, we've, you know, continued to push those resources to anybody that we feel is struggling and just, you know, have a heart and just work with people. But, um, so no, I, yes and no, no, nothing that is, um, dramatic in the sense that I wish I was getting out of the business or I wish I, you know, like I said, I still think it's a great business and I think it's a great, a great time for people to hop in as well. Good. Uh, and so you mentioned you grew up in the projects and I have never lived in the projects. Um, but one thing I, I've heard is sometimes there's kind of a, a, a mindset there of kind of a lack of hope, a lack of, um, uh, you know, almost a cynicism of, well, you know, why try? You can't get ahead. Uh, did, did you encounter pushback from, from, peers and neighbors and family when you said, I'm getting into real estate, I'm getting into business, uh, or, or what did you, what did you find there? 
Absolutely. And I don't, I'm not even sure if that happens just in the projects. I think that happens with the majority of, uh, you know, whether you could be in, you know, rural America and have it happen the same way. But I think you're, you're, you, you are a product of your environment. So what most people, you know, I, and I think that goes for everyone. I think you just need to change your environment. And what I did to do that was, you know, I did a lot of reading on my own. Um, I, I, you know, um, had a little bit of success. And then, you know, I... I started, I actually started my own networking group and I, I would, I went to networking groups because I wanted to meet people that thought like I did. I was really lonely kind of, you know, when I would say in my early twenties, uh, 23, 24, 25, um, because I wasn't surrounded by people who had the same ambitions. I, I was surrounded by the people that you just mentioned, the people that had limiting beliefs and, uh, that thought that this was kind of the world that they, the hand that they were dealt and this is what they had to work with where I, I, I wanted better. I wanted more. Um, and I knew that I was, uh, I wouldn't even say smart enough because I don't think that I'm actually smart. I think I'm just ambitious and driven. And, um, I wanted just something better for myself and my family. I, I wanted that white picket fence, that American dream, and I knew I could achieve it. So I, um, I started a group called Boston wealth builders, uh, about eight years ago, 2012, um, I started that group, roughly 2,500 members in the group right now. And the whole purpose is, and people laugh at me, but I, I really started the group. It wasn't, you know, I, I do sponsorships and all types of, uh, you know, uh, events and you know, the, the group has been very lucrative for me financially, but it didn't start because of that. It started genuinely because I was lonely. I just wanted to talk to other people who wanted, <laughs> who read Rich Dad, Poor Dad as well. And, uh, you know, and, 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 uh, and, and genuinely wanted to, you know, be involved in this business and do more for themselves. So, um, yeah, it's, it's been an incredible experience for me, kind of just breaking away from that, that mindset of, um, you know, that limiting belief and just going out. And I, and I still today try to go out and meet people uh, as much as possible who are doing more than I am, who are at a higher level, who are building hotel buildings, who are, who own 200 units, uh, and try to, anytime I, you know, meet somebody, I'll, I'll reach out to them and offer to buy them lunch and we'll sit down at illegal seafoods or Morton's or whatever it may be buy them expensive lunch and the education that I get uh, and the motivation that I get from these individuals is just, you know, thousands of times over the price of that, that, you know, that particular lunch. Yeah, that, that sounds like a, like a huge thing. And so what inspired you to write cash flow secrets? Um, the fact that not everybody has my grandmother. Um, that, that was the one thing that I, that I told that, that you had mentioned before. I, I, I didn't have any financial, um, benefits, so to speak, any financial leg up on anybody. But I did have uh, someone who simplified the process for me. Uh, and that's really what Cashflow Secrets is all about. It's about taking out the complexity in, in, the, in, the, in this business and just bringing it down to the, the nuts and bolts, really just kind of showing you what the inner workings are um, and, and just keeping things simple. Um, it, it reads in, in the sense that it's, uh, you know, 52 tips and they, you, I keep it very, very simple. Um, I don't go into too much of the, you know, uh, you know, analytics of, you know, uh, a 10 unit or 20 unit building. It's how do I buy that first two family? How do I take the asset that that first two family or three family and pull some cash out and go and buy that next three family? How do I use my wife's credit or my husband's credit or um, leverage somebody else in my family to buy another building? How do we work together to create a partnership? So it basically is a book that basically it helps you go from uh, units to uh, to units 10. Um, and then I'm, I'm coming out with another, uh, kind of level in the series business secrets. Uh, where we'll talk a little bit about more about building a portfolio, hiring people, building systems, uh, and taking your portfolio to the next level. But secret, uh, cashflow secrets is all, all about the beginning. 
um, and keeping things really, really simple. So, so let's say someone's out there and you know, typical millennial, I guess you'd say Gen X, whatever, yep. um, you know, they they've got maybe a job they're getting by, they're not doing great. They got okay credit. Maybe they're buried in student loans. Um, you know, that typical story, how would you recommend, what would the first step be to get off the, the treadmill and start to become, um, you know, a, a member of the capitalist class, such as you, I guess you could say. <laughs> um, first is, you know, is obviously, um, I look at this this wealth building process. This this this. Um, I played Monopoly a lot when I was younger. I loved the <laughs> game. I love the the idea of kind of buying, a, you know, a house, or two houses, and turning them into a hotel, and kind of fell in love with it. And I I look at my life as almost the same exact thing. So why I say that because the in in monopoly you don't know what your next move is whether you should be trying to sell one of your properties or whether you should be trying to acquire something unless you know where you are i think for most millennials and most people i wouldn't even say just millennials most people don't know where they are in the game and by that i mean they don't know what their current net worth is so how can you grow uh, and become rich if you don't even know where you are today. Most mm -hmm. people just assume that they have a negative net worth because of high student loans or whatever. That's fine. If you have a negative net worth, if you're negative 150,000, you need to know that. That's 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 rule number one, or you know, step number one is figure out where you're playing in the game. I'm a big basketball fan as well, and I talk about this in the book. Whether I you know uh, need to shoot, dribble it out, grab the rebound, throw it in the air, pass the ball, I don't know if you don't know if you can't tell me what the score is and how much time is left on the clock. And, and that's what people need to do is they need to first come up with a plan. Um, I would say first figure out where you are in the game, meaning get some type of financial software. I use Quicken. Um, you can use Mint.com, Microsoft Money. Um, there's a ton of you know personal financial software out there. And then sit down with your spouse, your girlfriend, your boyfriend, um, maybe it's just you. That's great as well. Figure out where you want to go. What are, dream big. Figure out, you know, do I want, you know, do I want to be a millionaire? Do I want to be a multimillionaire? Do I want a house on the lake? Do I want to get my mother out of the out of the projects and, 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 and buy her a house or or whatever it may be? Figure out those goals over the next five to 10 years. Um, and when you do those two things, it sounds cheesy and it sounds corny and people don't believe me when I say this. But when you figure out where you are today, figure out where you want to go things just kind of open up for you. You start to see opportunities that were right in front of your face that you didn't recognize before because you now have a roadmap, you know, and I hope that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And but so are there specific things you recommend, you know, someone, obviously if someone's credit challenged, then they can't just go out and get a loan and, and buy that first house. Um, yeah. it, it, is it more a matter of kind of once you recognize that there is an opportunity, then you'll just start to... That's it. That's exactly right. Yeah, that's exactly right. We can talk about the, the the details of the how forever. I mean, getting getting pre-approved, and there's always going to be an objection. Somebody's like, "Well, I you know I have bad credit." Well, you can fix your credit. Um, and this is what I mean when I say that, right? I didn't even realize this until a couple of years ago that, and my my cousin, you know, um, you know, uh, informed me of this. But it actually is super easy to fix your credit. Like if I have if I have positive credit. Or even if you don't, even if you have positive credit, you can act. There are websites out there where you can actually go out and buy trade lines. So you can go out and buy, um, let's say you spend $200 and you go out and put your name on someone else's credit card that has a limit of 50,000 bucks. You won't get the credit card, but what you're doing is you're picking up or paying for their trade history. They have a 10 year credit card with $50,000 limit on it. Um, they have, and, and that good credit history. 
Um, it's called buying trade lines. And if, you, and if that good credit history will actually improve your credit. So this is why, this is why I don't focus too much on the how. The how is you can fight, you figure out the how. First, you need to figure out where you are and then your why, where you're trying to go, right? So if I'm in Boston, I'm in Boston right now and I wanted to get to San Diego, then I can figure out the how. Like there's a plane, there's a there's a bus, there's a train, there's I can walk, I can I can bike mm-hmm. ride. The, the how is not the issue. It's where am I today and where am I trying to go? All the other stuff is just kind of just crap in between. I, I love it. Actually, yeah, you're totally right with the I wasn't aware of the trade lines, but I my credit score has increased by over hundred points in the last year. Um because I, I connect with a company called Lexington Law and they're a legal firm and and I don't actually know what they do. For all I know, they, they mail a horse head to the, the creditor. <laughs> they probably um, do. But, but they, 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 they work the system to interrogate all the things on the credit report and um, and all the things that aren't, you know, totally ironclad get taken off. But the average person doesn't know how to do that. But but there are, and I'm sure there's others besides Lexington Law who know how to do it. But um, it, but you know, I was assumed it cost thousands of dollars and whatnot. And um, someone recommended them to me and I was like, well, I'll give it a try. And suddenly, you know, it got better. And, and yeah, so you, I can totally see that how, how, you know, once, once you've set your mind to, we're going to find a way to make this happen. Uh, and actually even buying my house, the house I'm in now, we were thinking, okay, someday we're going to buy a house. And then we found a house that was, we knew the, the seller and it was a great fit and great location and, and we could get it, you know, in this market, which is an exciting thing. Um, but then we had to figure out how we're going to finance it. Where are we going to get the down payment? Where's all going to come from? And somehow what we thought would be impossible for five years, once we said, let's do it, we somehow found, and I couldn't necessarily even tell you how we did it. It just, I, I, it, you know, I'm sitting in that house, so it must've worked. Mike, I, I feel the exact same. This is, this is, that's exactly what I mean. The how is really not, people dwell too much on the how. I had a goal of uh, 10 years ago. I think I was 30 years old or seven, so seven years ago. I'm 37 today. In 10 years, I wanted to knock down, I wanted to build my own house. I wanted to, I wanted to work with an architect and I wanted to design my own house and I wanted to be five bedrooms. I wanted to have my own office and I wanted my kids to have their own room. And, and this was before I even had kids. That was my vision for 10 years, seven years ago. We did that house or we built that house two years ago. We're living, I'm sitting in the house talking to you right now. So I did that five years earlier than planned because I wasn't focused on the how. And again, I can say you said you don't know how you did it. I have no how. I have no idea how I did it. <laughs> just things just seem to come in. Things just seem to when you have a vision, when you know where you're trying to go, right? Um, I'm in Boston and I'm trying to go to San Diego. Things just seem to you know open up for you and just kind of you you start to see things that you didn't see before. And, you know, opportunities with improving your credit, opportunities for uh, funding your down payment. Um, And most people don't even realize you can buy a house with as little as a 580 credit score. I mean, and that's, you know, I mean, if you can't get yourself to a 580, then, you know, we we can, you have other problems. So, (laughs) you know, um, but you don't have to have a 750, 800 credit score to buy a house. You can, you know, you can get in with as little as 580, 600, 620. Um, These are all, you know, doable credit scores with an FHA program. There are NACA programs where you don't have to have any money down. Um, So people, if 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 you're finding objections you know, that's, that's your issue. That's something that's in your, their, your head. That's a mental hurdle that you have to get over. It's figuring out where you are today and where you want to go. And if you do that, like I said, everything else just kind of, uh, you know, kind of shows itself. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, so, so what are some, besides your book, of course, uh, what are some resources you'd point someone to, to uh, get some of these, you know, get some of these ideas, get some, 
get the right mindset? You know, where can they connect with the right kind of people? Uh, hop on my YouTube channel, um, youtube.com uh, backslash or forward slash W Mandrell. Uh, just look, look me up, Willie, Willie Mandrell, but W Mandrell on YouTube. Um, I am stuck in the house. I've been stuck in the house since, you know, coronavirus. Boston, when, if you're in Boston, you understand we, um, we're a very cautious place, one of the, you know, one of the larger cities. So we're going to have everything shut down for um, quite some time. And I have just been cranking out videos. I, I just want to share the stuff that's in my head, the stuff that's in this book, um, you know, inspire people, educate people. So um, there's a lot of information on that YouTube uh, page already. Uh, there's going to be a lot of new videos and a lot of content coming out, you know, in the future. And, you know, subscribe. And, uh, you know, like I said, hopefully I can help, you know, uh, answer some of those hows. Uh, right on that, right on that channel. Well, yeah, that, that's really exciting. I'm definitely be definitely watching some of those videos because that's this has been a very inspiring conversation for me, certainly. Um, now, so one thing I've, I've heard from from some other real estate investors uh, is that that with the market so hot, it's not a good market to be buying properties, and which kind of like what you said about run the opposite direction of the crowd. Um, but are you finding that now is is a bad time to buy, or, or are there still opportunities? No, I think over the last couple of years, I've been really cautious. I've been buying just nothing but you know phenomenal deals. I stayed in the market um, because again, I'm, I'm 37 and I'm, I'm looking at the future and I'm saying I'm going to be in this business for at least another 15, 20 years. I don't even, even when I hit that financial freedom number, I'm probably still going to be doing it. It'll be a little bit more uh, for fun at that point, but I, and you know, getting my kids involved and everything else and teaching other people, but I'll probably still be involved. So the reason I say that is I'm probably going to hit another couple market cycles, another couple dips, another couple upswings, and I'm not really concerned with it right now. If I was 67, I would have stopped uh, doing or stop buying a little while ago and started to try, maybe try to pull back just a little bit and can, you know, be a little bit more conservative, uh, with my funds as I move into that, you know, that retirement, um, age. But so that was six months ago or nine months ago over the next couple of years though, I think there's a great opportunity. I actually just got a YouTube video about this today. Um, I do think that there's a lot of economic, stimulus that is propping up the economy or uh, giving us a false sense of security right now. And I think that at some point, all of those things are going to go away. Unemployment is going to run out for a lot of people. A lot of people have been, and again, not to sound insensitive or, um, you know, but th this is the reality of the, this is the way the, the economy works and the way the world works. And a lot of people that have been at home still being okay because they've been receiving that unemployment check, you know, the stimulus checks that have come out. Um, a lot of businesses that probably shouldn't still be running are still running because of PPP loans and whether those get paid back or not. There's a lot of students who are not making any money, but their their Sally May loans have been deferred for a certain period of time. A lot of people who should have been foreclosed on right now, but their loans are in forbearance. Um, a lot of tenants, um, you know, that are a lot of landlords that are dealing with you know evictions right now. So when all these things start to um, slowly, uh, I don't know how to put it, but there's only so long excuse me, so, so long that your governments can support this kind of chaos, right? I mean, they're, they're propping us up right now to kind of continue to put things along. But over the next couple of years, you're going to see stimulus checks run out. You're going to see unemployment go away. Um, and you're going to find out where we truly are. And it's I wouldn't say it's going to be ugly. I don't think it's going to be 2008, 2009, 2010. But it's going to get, there's going to be some opportunities out there. And if you're a savvy investor or a, a new somebody new coming to the, uh, to the business, I would definitely keep your eyes open over the next couple of years because there's going to be some opportunity for you to buy real estate at a discount. But again, there's going to be people running away from it saying this is bad. If you have 10, 15 years ahead of you, 
I would definitely consider, you know, and, you know, making some serious investments in real estate and other, other places, um, especially when you see a dip and not to get too sidetracked, but, um, for me, you, you have to have the long-term mindset. You have to be able to see we're, we're in a very, um, in, in, in this, in our society today, very short-sighted. We're uh, instant gratification, uh, type of society. And if you can see past what's right in front of you, if you can look out five, 10 years, you'll see like when, when, uh, we had a pull market pullback, and I think it was April uh, when the pandemic really started to take uh, take hold. Uh, and airlines, you know, their stock prices started to tumble. Marriott uh, uh, um, and hotels, their stock price started to tumble. So I went in and I basically said, "Well, pan- the pandemic is basically affecting all the travel industry, all the hospitality industry, and anything that you know where their stock price was cut in half." I didn't put a ton of money into it, but I basically had 10,000 sitting on the sideline in the E-Trade account and I jumped in, you know, if because if, I, I understand that when we get back to normal, when things, once the vaccine comes in and things get, you know, back to normal, people are going to be traveling like crazy. Resorts are going to be absolutely insane. Airlines are going to be packed. You know, people are going to be taking the Greyhound just to get somewhere else than where they've been for the last 18 months, right? So it's going to be absolutely insane, and which is going to make those stock prices soar, which is going to push up, you know, us back up to where we were. So when everyone else is running one way, please look the other way and you'll, you'll be very successful in, um, you know, in, in your financial life. Well, and, and, you know, the government's not going to allow Marriott or American Airlines to go to zero. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, we, we they, they didn't in 2008 and they, they, they won't now. So, I mean, it's just when you see those big dips, when you see dips in your neighborhood in real estate, you know, and you see dips in the, in the stock market, those are opportunities, you know. So that's, you know, um, yeah, that's the way I looked at it. And, and again, I, I'll, I'll check back in with you in 30 years. Hopefully <laughs> I'm right. But, <laughs> but, I, but, I, but I think I am, you know, so. Hey, one more question, a little bit more detail about the real estate thing. So I imagine that one thing you have to be prepared for is you might have vacancies, you might have people, you might uh, people not paying, whatever. Um, so I imagine you can't just be fully leveraged on a, a rental property because then you you run the risk of of uh, a slight bump drives you off the road. But yeah. so so if someone's getting started, how much would they want to be keeping in reserve? You know, would they need in cash reserves to to be able to weather the expected unexpected? Um, I like the number of 10 grand. That's usually what I do. And the reason I'm doing that is because everything that I buy is a three family. Boston's known for our, tr- our triple deckers up here. Um, everything's everything's a three family. Um, so that is the that is the majority of, of my investments. So for each three family that I have um, in all of my property, and I do this for, you know, I don't want to get into too much detail of the legals, but I hold everything in a separate business or a separate LLC. So I own one, two, three Main Street that property is held in 123 Main Street, LLC. Um, And the reason I do that is for asset protection, but it's also because that business entity um, is a a separate entity altogether. And we can get kind of deep on this one, but it it actually has a separate tax ID. It is no Mm -hmm. longer me. It's part of its own entity, its own company altogether. So I keep $10,000 in reserve, roughly $3,000 per unit. Um, And then what I also do is I take that business and I go out and I get a line of credit or a credit card on that business as well. Initially, what you'll have to do is because it's a new baby, it's a new business, you'll have to personally guarantee it, but it gives me two benefits. Now I have another $10,000 credit card that's attached to 123 Main Street LLC, but the other side of it is it's not that $10,000 is not on my personal debt to income ratio. It's not part Mm -hmm. of my personal debt. It's on that business. It's just like 
uh, having a new baby or a new child. Um, when your child gets eight, when your child turns 18, most parents go and co-sign on a car or co-sign on a student loan to go to college. Um, I'm doing the same thing for my companies. They're, they're new babies. They're new babies in my life and they don't have any credit. So I go out and co-sign on them. But at the end of the day, they're con completely different entities um, and their debt is not reported on my, my personal credit. So that, that helps me in two ways. Um, it keeps me free. So I look better to lenders, better to banks because I'm not carrying a bunch of debt. And then two, I have that interest, that, uh, that reserve, but this is very strategic here. If, if for some reason I run into a, a tremendous amount of trouble, right. And I, 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 I evap my, my reserves evaporate and then my credit card is run up. Well, if I start to run into a little bit of trouble, that debt or that that trouble is really with the new baby or the new LLC, not with me personally. So I keep myself uh, as clean as possible, and that trouble stays with the uh, the new LLC at the end of the day. Then, as things get to you know things clean itself up, you clean that you know they clean up that credit, and you can kind of build on it there. But at least it keeps you out of the woodworks personally, so you can continue to go out and do other things yourself. If that makes sense. And that ten thousand dollars cash reserve and a ten thousand dollar credit card. Exactly. So I, that, that, and again, that's that's I, I've very rarely run into a situation where that you know those are needed. I've I've depleted reserves at some point, and then they kind of go back in. Sometimes you have a a tenant that's been there for seven years and really kind of you know mucked up the place, so to speak. Um, I need a new heating system, or the roof is leaking. Ten thousand dollars is really um, what I feel is a, a comfortable number to kind of get me to. And, and the banks agree. I think most times that I show, I go out and uh, go get a new property or go buy a new property. The banks want to see what do I have in terms of liquidity. And I show them that there is about $10,000 in reserves for each of the properties that I own. And they're usually pretty comfortable with that. Um, and then for my comfort level, I also have an additional credit card um, with five to 10000 depending on what the bank will give you. Um, that'll give me some additional credit if I need to, uh, to, to access it. Okay. Yeah. So I've always thought about that, that you, you fully leverage the properties and then, you know, something like this happens more, a uh, rent, uh, eviction moratorium. And then two of your tenants don't pay. And it seems like you'd be very quickly not paying the mortgage. Um, well, I, I'll, I'll give you one other thing, Mike, before, you know, like I said, I don't want to cut you off, but mm -hmm. so the, the gentleman who owes me 20 grand, um, we actually still have 10 K in reserves because one of the beauties of the, and again, there, there are two families here. The first property I bought was a two family. I probably will never buy another two family again. It's a great personal residence. And I encourage somebody to do it just to, just to at least get started. But the three families are great because, you know, um, often I find that two rents, uh, the rent from two of the units will typically cover all of my expenses. Um, so I only run, really run into trouble financially if I have two tenants that are not paying, um, which has never been the case so far. So right now we are still covering all of our expenses with the other two tenants that are that are still paying. Um, and now if we have some maintenance issues, we're going to have to dip into reserves and that's probably coming pretty soon. Um, but if, if you do the numbers right and you have enough income, um, you should be more than covered. That's going to be it's going to be really difficult for somebody who goes out and invests in single family properties. You're losing now 100 percent of your rent. Whereas I'm only losing 33% of my rental income when one tenant doesn't pay. Okay. Yeah, that seems like the key, the key element that, that was, was right. missing in my thinking. Is yeah, right, 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 right. So it's a, it's a little different if you're in a, um, and again, I don't know some of the markets, but say you're in Tennessee. Um, I imagine there's, they're not building up, they're building, you know, every, all the rentals are, uh, are, are single family homes that you're occupying. Now it becomes a little bit more of a hassle 
um, if, if you're losing 100% of your rent for that particular business entity where I'm only losing 33% of my rent. So I really do like the, uh, the multifamily uh, business model if, you, if, if, that, if that's offered into your, uh, your neighborhood. Really interesting. Well, this has been very, very inspiring and educating. I'm really glad I had you on the show. This has been great. Uh, so your YouTube channel, again, is youtube.com slash WMandrell. Uh, and the book is Cash Flow Secrets by Willie Mandrell, which uh, do, you have any, do you have a date that's coming out? Yeah, it'll be uh, today. Uh, it'll be out on January 28th. Um, okay. So a little a little while from now, uh, it'll drop on January 28th. If you Google uh, or go to Amazon, punch in Willie Mandrell or punch in Cashflow Secrets, you should be able to find it pretty easily. Um, yeah. And like I said, I, I, I really do think that if you're a beginning investor, um, it'll be a great place for you to start. Um, and then, and like I said, look for other titles as they start to release. If you're, if you're someone who's looking to, you know, continue to build their portfolio, uh, a little further and turn it into a real business. Well, I would definitely want to get my hands on that book because that sounds very interesting. And, uh, I think that might be about a week or so before I get this podcast produced and put up anyway. So, uh, the book actually might be out by the time that the audience is listening to it. So, um, but really it's been fantastic having you on the show. I have learned a lot and I imagine our listeners have as well. So thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate you having me, Mike. Anytime. Thanks. William Andrell has an amazing story. Am I right? Hey, I told you you're in for a treat and you were and there it was. So if you liked that, definitely check out his YouTube channel, search him up on there, and also sign up for Conference 21 coming up May 21st to 23rd. We're going to have him and a number of people from his Wealth Builder Nation, as well as, of course, dozens of other amazing speakers. As I'm releasing this, we are just coming on the heels of the first Conference 21 in February, which was a huge success, very, very successful for all the people who were there. There weren't uh, a lot of people had over 100, so it was good. We didn't have thousands. Uh, but for the, the people who were there, got very positive reviews. Everyone loved it, had a good time. couple technical issues, minor stuff, actually. Really excited how well it went. Uh, we're going to learn from that. Turn around into May. We're going to have possibly as, as many as twice as many speakers going into May. So it's going to be an incredible event. Definitely sign up now, conference21.com, especially because we're going to have a networking event as soon as it might be next week or the week after for the first Conference 21 networking event. We're going to have uh, twice a month, twice a month, uh, basically every two weeks to get together and really build the community. It's not, it's not about being a one-off event. It's about being an ongoing community where we get to know each other and build relationships and knowledge and make great things happen. So definitely something to be part of, conference21.com. If you're interested in being a speaker, you can go to that same website, click on the link for that, or go to speaker.conference21.com, uh, fill out an application, I'll reach out to you, and, and we'll talk. So thank you so much for listening. As always, I am Michael Whitehouse, and here are some credits. This is the Guy Who Knows a Guy podcast with Michael Whitehouse. Segment introductions by Rowan Whitehouse. Our theme song is composed by Patrick Howard of Four Unicorns Design. Other music was Bits and Bites by Klaus Appel and Summer Ambient Piano by Raphael Crook of filmmusic.io. Find us on the web at www.guywhoknowsaguy.com. Questions can be submitted in written form or as an audio file to michael at guywhoknowsaguy.com. If you've enjoyed this show, please subscribe to this podcast and leave a review. You can also follow The Guy Who Knows a Guy on Facebook at facebook.com slash theguywhoknowsaguy. If you know someone who may enjoy this episode or the podcast as a whole, we welcome you to share our links with them. Thanks. I'll see you next week. JV Connect is coming up quick, December 12th and 13th. 
If you are looking for a networking event where you can meet people who aren't looking to just pitch you or take, but actually want to collaborate, build strategic partnerships, joint ventures, maybe even find some mentors, some coaches, people to support you, accountability partners, who knows? If you're looking for good people in an environment that's not stressful, but is set up to give you a lot of great connections in an efficient amount of time, check out JV Connect. JV-Connect.com. That's JV-Connect.com. December 12th and 13th, 2023. We'll see you there.